Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 40 of the podcast. So glad you could join me for it. And it is trade deadline week or the week before the trade deadline or trade deadline eve or something. It's I don't think it has an official title, but whatever it is, we're right there. And I'm recording this on Wednesday night, which apparently is the pre-trade deadline flurry uh, because there have been a number of deals made in the last 24 or so hours, and it's setting the table for the trade. So today we are going to talk about the trade deadline, specifically prospects and and draft picks and things that are involved in the trade deadline this year, because as we now know, draft picks, prospects, in addition to being future pieces of your team, they are very much currency as well. Um, Weird to talk about human beings in that way, but that's what professional sports is and so that is what the commodities are it's players so we'll talk a lot about that it's also a very interesting time in college hockey the conference tournaments are about to wrap up they will be done by Saturday I will actually be in Minnesota with plans to go to the NCHC semifinals in the Big Ten championship game Um, so I will have a first uh, a good look at some of the players that I've been watching all season long and helping you track. So certainly uh, being the U.S.-based prospects guy, I do spend a lot of time in college, uh, but also will be renewing the focus on junior and everything else as we wrap up those seasons, but a lot to get to. So um, today's episode, just going to cover a lot of ground, and it's a Q&A episode. I don't have a guest with me this week um, because I felt like that you guys often – Give me some of the best back and forth that I could ask for, and I really appreciate that because it helps me make the content. It helps stoke my creativity when you guys are involved. And if you're asking questions, I'm assuming that you're listening uh, as well, so thank you so much for uh, helping me out with that. Before we get into the rest of the show today, I did want to let you know that on Monday, the actual NHL trade deadline, which is March 21st, um, I will be part of the Daily Faceoffs live trade deadline show. Now, this is a really cool thing to be a part of. Obviously, you guys probably have your options of TSN and Sportsnet, and maybe you can't get it at work, maybe you can, maybe there are other things, but this streaming deadline show 
will be on from noon Eastern to 3.30. I'll pop in every once in a while to give some insight on prospects and various pieces that move. But obviously, we have one of the best newsbreakers in hockey in Frank Saravalli, and he will be kind of the, the point man on the show. There's going to be a Frank cam. You can actually watch him as he's reporting and, and breaking news. Uh, we'll have a lot of different panels as well. Pete Blackburn is joining us from Bally Sports, and if you know Pete from his Twitter feed, you know he's a hilarious guy, but he also has a very smart uh, hockey mind, and it's going to be fun to kind of uh, see what he brings to the table. Scott Burnside, a veteran reporter for you know years and years, and he, he used to be breaking a lot of these deals as well, but really he's he's written so many great stories about the trade deadline, including one with Ryan Miller going over the time that he got traded from Buffalo to St. Louis and how that went and, and, and things like that. So he'll be a, a great resource. And then you know, we've got some guys that have been involved in the trade deadline as well. Mike McKenna, former NHL goaltender, uh, has been dealt on a trade deadline day. Chris Gear, former assistant ge- general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He's been in the war room during a trade deadline over multiple regimes in Vancouver and, uh, you know, he's been a guy, you know, he was the guy that was like sending the emails to NHL Central Registry to make sure the deals got in on time. And then I'm also really excited because one of my best friends um, anywhere, Ryan Clark uh, from The Athletic, is going to be part of the show at least for a little bit. And he's, you know, he's covering the game, uh, covers the Seattle Kraken, but also is a national reporter for The Athletic. And he's going to have a lot of great insight as well. He also did some recent uh, work with the Florida Panthers um, and and wrote some great stories there about you know their their the their two stars in in Huberto and Barkov and also um, you know about the fact that that the Florida Panthers are suddenly becoming a destination and a team that people are very interested in and want to get to know better. So I'm really excited that we're going to have such an in- incredible team there. And as I mentioned, I'll be popping in every once in a while, and so that'll start at noon Eastern. It'll go till 3.30. You can get it on Twitter if you follow at Daily Faceoff. And then uh, YouTube, there will also be a live stream. So if you can't get your other networks to work at work or wherever you are, you will be able to follow this on your phone, on your, you know, on, on wherever your, your, your laptop, your tablet, what have you. Um, and we'll have hopefully... Uh, a lot of really fun insight and, and good entertainment as well. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we'll have Frank, you know, probably breaking trades live on our on our program. So I uh, cannot wait for that. It's going to be really exciting. So um, also, before I get to your questions today, I also wanted to remind you, if you are new to this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. I really appreciate the, the people that have left some written reviews. Uh, I just got one last week from a Jay Letty, a five-star review, and he calls the podcast a must-listen, or he or she, I'm not sure what, but uh, this person <laughs> calls the podcast a must-listen. No schnick, no nonsense. Chris is such a professional who offers deep insight and continues to have some of the best interviews for hockey prospect aficionados. Chris's Twitter feed is also an invaluable resource. That's at Chris M. Peters, by the way. A must listen and follow. Thank you so much, Jay Letty. I really appreciate that. It's been nice to get some some great reviews here. Um, you know, hopefully more of you will leave a written review. It does help us get the word out about this tiny little podcast that is a for a very specific audience of 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 hockey prospect aficionados and hockey nerds, but hopefully we are serving you as best as we possibly can. I know I'm having a lot of fun with it. 
and you all are the main reason for it, the people listening right now uh, and the people that have asked asked some questions. All right, so I do want to get into the trade deadline, but before we do that, some news from Wednesday. It was announced the top 10 players that were on the Hobie Baker uh, finalists. Uh, so, you know, that'll get paired down to the Hobie hat trick, and those three players will go to um, Boston where they're having the, the Frozen Four this year, the men's Frozen Four. And so this list of 10 um, will, you know, be pared down and then we'll have our, our Hobie Baker. And the, the interesting thing about the Hobie Baker award this year, and of course that's the MVP of college hockey, the Heisman of college hockey of men's college hockey. So um, that is, you know, a big, uh, a big deal, of course, you know, so this year it's really difficult to figure out who is actually going to win it. And there are a lot of great options and this year's 10 finalists really good. And I'll also get into some of the players that I I'm surprised aren't on this finalist list, but Let's get to the top 10. And I this is just an alphabetical order. This was announced by the Hobie Baker Memorial Award uh, today, uh, Wednesday, as I record this. And you'll this will be coming out on Thursday. Happy St. Patrick's Day to those who celebrate, including me, who enjoyed some corned beef and cabbage already this week. This is the Hobie Baker top 10. Maddie Beniers from the University of Michigan, Seattle Kraken draft pick. Bobby Brink from, the, from Denver, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers draft pick. Brian Hallinan from Michigan Tech who is a unrestricted free agent, Luke Hughes, freshman defenseman from Michigan and the number four overall pick from the last draft by the New Jersey Devils. Devin Levi, who didn't, he's been at Northeastern for two years, did not play last year because of an injury. This year he has been unstoppable, or he's been <laughs> unbeatable, I should say. Um, and he is a Buffalo Sabres draft pick. Dryden McKay, who was a Hobie Hattrick finalist last year out of Minnesota State, goaltender, um, the all-time leader in shutouts in the NCAA history. He is also an unrestricted free agent. Ben Myers, the top UFA on the market for this year's draft or for this year's uh, college free agent class from Minnesota. He's the Big Ten Player of the Year. He is also part of it. Yaniv Peretz, the goaltender from Quinnipiac, also an unrestricted free agent with a save percentage over 950. Nathan Smith, who was like Manny Beniers and a U.S. Olympian. Uh, he was at when he left for the Olympics. He was the leading scorer in the nation, and then Bobby Brink took over that lead. So Nathan Smith missed some games, uh, but he is a Winnipeg draft uh, draft prospect. And finally, Bobby Trevino from the University of Massachusetts, UMass, New Mass, hashtag New Mass, uh, uh, the number two college free agent on my board, and also the MVP from last Frozen Four. That is your Hobie Baker top ten. I'll. Provide a little analysis about that first, but the guys that I was surprised not to see there, and this is an interesting fact that was pointed out many times on Twitter, and certainly one of the things that I noticed is that most of the top goal scorers, I think there's one of the top 11 goal scorers in the country, are on this list. So Ethan Frank, who leads the nation in goals with 26 26 so far this season, not on the list from Western Michigan. That was a bit of a surprise to me. However, I think the player that is even more impactful and the more important to Western Michigan and one of the most valuable players in college hockey this year did not get consideration. I think he's going to be an All-American. I think he's going to be a very, at least he should be, uh, very highly regarded in, in, in postseason awards, and that is Ronnie Adder, the defenseman from Western Michigan. I think he's one of the best players in college hockey. He is a Philadelphia Flyers draft pick. He's been a bit of a late bloomer, and to see what he's done from going from the USHL, where he was a highly productive player, to now being a top defenseman in a in a program that's been a top 10 team pretty much all season long, he was a guy that I definitely thought was in there. I think that you could make a case for Aiden McDonough at Northeastern. However, when you look at 
McDonough versus Levi, you know, how do you how do you, how do you kind of weigh those? McDonough was, I think, the third or fourth leading scorer in the country this year so far. Obviously, there's more games to be played, so uh, play these players will have a chance to pad their stats. But you know, I think if you were looking up and down the lineup, I would say that the favorite at this point is probably Denver Junior. Bobby Brink and Brink is having a phenomenal season for the pioneers. He is the leading scorer in the country this year. You know, he's been, uh, he's been just dominant in terms of his production. And I think that that's a really good, you know, he's, he's, he's just been really good this year. 55 points in 36 games, 14 goals, 41 assists, um, a plus 25 rating. And Denver has been one of the highest scoring teams in the country. It's, Bobby Brink is a big reason for it. Last year, he missed significant time with injury, so he's had a really nice bounce back. He was on the World Junior team last year and managed to uh, to win uh, win gold with the World Junior team, and he he kind of did a little bit of everything for that team, which was really impressive. And you know, he's a 34th overall draft pick. I think you know the Philadelphia Flyers should be very excited about him, even though he's not a big guy. He's just a highly intelligent hockey player. I think he's got some of the best hockey sense in the country um you know and just really the way that he plays the the ability that he the the playmaking ability that he has is truly special um and so you know that's that's why i just think that bobby brink he's got a real good chance here he's leading the nation not only in raw points with 40 or 55 rather but 1.52 1.53 points per game uh highest in the country second is nathan smith 48 points, 1.45 points per game. Bobby Trevino is fifth, so we're going you know, down the list of, of, of candidates here. 44 points for him, 1.37 per game. Brian Hallinan, 44 points, 1.22 per game. Um, you know, so th- those are some of the guys that are in there. Matty Beneers has, you know, some of the fewest games played. He missed time for the World Juniors, missed time for the Olympics. 33 games played, 40 points, 1.21 points per game. No question he's you know, the straw that stirs the drink for Michigan and, and can really be a huge difference maker. Um, you know, there there are certainly other other great players around the country, but I think it's hard to find guys that impact the game quite the same way that uh, Matty Beneers does for Michigan. Ben Myers might be one of those guys. He has 36 points this season, missed games for the Olympics this year. He's got an average of 1.2 points per game. He was the Big Ten Player of the Year, which certainly gives him a, a leg up on some of the other candidates there but doesn't necessarily guarantee him that opportunity but he is a junior and and certainly um a huge huge piece of one of the best teams in the country luke hughes is probably one of the more intriguing players that made the top 10 i didn't necessarily expect to see luke hughes make it even though he was the top scoring defenseman in the country and usually that player is going to get there but you just never really know right he missed one game this season He's averaging 0.97 points per game, 36 points in 37 games, 17 goals. So he's one of the top goal scoring uh, defensemen. Only one player at his age uh, as a defenseman has scored more goals in their freshman season. So I think that Luke Hughes is certainly deserving. Where it really gets interesting is that there are three goaltenders. Now, goalies have had a really hard time winning the Hobie Baker. Rob Stauber won it and Ryan Miller won it. We haven't seen a goaltender win it since Ryan Miller. And that has brought in, you know, the Mike Richter Award now exists to give out a goalie of the year. But that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, that's that should be the only thing they get. And I think this year is a chance for goalies to absolutely have a case to win this award. 
Devin Levi has appeared in 30 games for Northeastern University. He has won 21 of those contests. One has been a tie. He is a, has 10 shutouts. So he's averaging a shutout every third game. Uh, and has a 954 save percentage, which is above the save percentage that Ryan Miller had the year that he won the Hobie Baker. In fact, it is one of the best save percentages in the history of college hockey. Now we'll see what happens in the postseason and where that goes. There's still time for him to fall down, but he is currently the second highest save percentage in the history of, the, of college hockey. Um, you know, among players that had enough games, Jimmy Howard played in 22 games in 2003-04 and had a 9.56 save percentage. Levi has already played in eight more games and still has a 9.54 save percentage. Connor Hellebuck had a 9.52, and Yaniv Peretz, who is now. <laughs> He is also in the mix as a Hobie candidate. He is tied with Connor Hellebuck. He has a 952 save percentage in 27 games. And then Dryden McKay at 933 with nine shutouts, as I mentioned, the all-time shutouts leader in the country. He has won 34 of 38 starts this season. So certainly you expect that he's going to get significant consideration. I think the only other guy... Like I, I'm a big Dryden McKay fan, but he, you know, when I look at kind of where he's at among those goaltenders, you know, Devin Levi has played fewer games, but has over 200 more saves than, uh, or almost 200 full more saves. Uh, sorry. Yes. I, I can't do math. I can't do math <laughs> over 200 saves more than Dryden McKay Peretz is also, he has 471, same thing, where where Quinnipiac just does not give up a lot of shots. Those guys belong in the conversation for sure. Um, you know, But I think Levi is, if we're going to give it to a goaltender, it's got to be Levi. He's had the best season. He's had the most shots against. Um, and then there's one player that I think did get left out that I absolutely would have had under consideration, and that is Jacob Dobesh, who is the goal, freshman goaltender for Ohio State University, 934 save percentage. He's made over 1,086 saves. Uh, three Only three shutouts compared to the other guys that are in, you know, 9 to 10, 9 to 11. Um, but you look at Dobesh and the, the stress that he was under and the ability that he, or how well he played. He was the co-freshman of the year in the Big Ten, along with Luke Hughes, um, and was certainly the goaltender of the year in that conference. And he is a Montreal Canadiens draft pick. Did not get selected for this, but certainly um, a guy that that is worth knowing and and certainly will be in the mix for the Mike Richter Award, which really seems that it'll be Devin Levi's to lose. Now the only question is, will Devin Levi end up winning the Hobie? That's going to be real fascinating to watch. I think the committee has been reluctant to give it to goaltenders, but this is a year where I don't think there is a clear cut forward, even though I, I really think Bobby Brink is in that mix and deserves a lot of consideration. This might be the year of the goaltender and the Hobie Baker when you're putting up numbers as cartoonish as those guys. But, you know, we, we talked a lot about the other guys that are, are leading scorers in the country, um, but it is a really fascinating year for the Hobie Baker. And, you know, I think there's a lot of very deserving candidates, but boy, wouldn't it be interesting to see a goaltender win? And by the way, this actually is a coming off of a question. Uh, Giant Lady Squirrels asked for my thoughts on the Hobie Baker top 10 list. And Giant Lady Squirrels, who asked a question in last week's pod as well, you got your answer early before we even got to the Q&A. 
Also did want to talk uh, about that that trade deadline again. Um, and as I mentioned, I'll be heading off to do some college hockey stuff. But before we do that, we've got that NHL trade deadline um, coming up. And there have been a lot of trades made already. Some prospects have been on the move in some of those deals. We saw Josh Manson go from the Anaheim Ducks to the Colorado Avalanche. The Colorado Avalanche gave up Drew Hellison and a draft pick. Drew Hellison wasn't yet signed. He did sign with Anaheim soon after that. I'd actually heard that he was potentially going back to school, going back to Boston College. Then Anaheim dra- you know, si- makes the trade. They sign him, um, and it looks like he's going to have an opportunity in the near future to possibly play some NHL games. So you've got Drew Hellison on the move to Anaheim. I like that move. For Colorado, I think that they, you know, they needed to get bigger and tougher on the back end, and they do with Josh Manson. And Drew Hellison is certainly not going to help them win a Stanley Cup this year, but you know, I, I, he's gonna he's gonna be a guy that plays NHL games. Uh, I think he's you know a B prospect, and, and so that's a good move for the Anaheim Ducks in the position that they're in currently, where they're kind of falling out of the race, and and now it's kind of time to to reset and and look at recouping some assets and. Uh, with Pat Verbeek in his new role, um, I'll be very interested to see how he handles the Ducks uh, and, and where they go because they have a young core in place that's really good. And Drew Hellison was a teammate of Trevor Zegers's, so that helps a lot. So I, I think that's going to be really interesting to see where those those guys kind of fit in and, and how long it takes Drew Hellison. I think by 2023-24, that's when I think it's most realistic to expect Drew Hellison to be an NHL regular, though he could play games as early as next season. Um, may even get in some before this season is up and burn a year off of his entry-level contract. Right before I recorded this podcast, there was another trade that went down that involved a prospect, and that was Ben Sherratt going from Montreal to Florida. Florida gave up a huge package for Ben Sherratt, who I do think will help Florida play in the playoffs. He's getting, you know, he looked good in the playoffs last year. He's been physical. He's been you know, solid defensively. I think he's going to help. But Florida gave up an awful lot to get him. They already don't have a first-round pick this year. They now give up their first-round pick, and it's uh, uh, reportedly not lottery-protected for next year. Not that we think that the Panthers will be in the lottery range, but in the event that something dramatic happens and they are in the lottery range, they've now lost their lottery ticket to potentially land a Connor Bedard or Matt Faye Mitchkov or somebody uh, of that nature. Uh, in the 2023 draft, which at this point is actually looking like potentially a deeper draft. Now, we say that with a grain of salt, and I will talk a little bit about that further a little bit later about the 2023 draft because I, I worked with Frank Saravalli on a post that or on an article that he did for Daily Faceoff where you know he had learned through his reporting that a lot of teams were looking for 2023 picks instead of 2022 picks. And you know we talked a little bit about that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that later before we get into our, our all of your questions, of which there are many about the trade deadline and many about college hockey and many about the draft and everything else. So we'll get to all that. But the Ben Sher- getting back to the Ben Sherratt deal, Montreal and their new GM, Kent Hughes, has gotten a very nice package. We talked about the 2023 first-round draft pick, but they also get a B-minus, C-plus prospect in Ty Smolanik, who uh, his numbers dipped a bit this year at Quinnipiac. He was going to be part of the U.S. National Junior team. He actually got hurt and did not play in the first game of the World Juniors, and then the tournament got canceled. Um, But he, at his best, can be a goal scorer. He has a great shot. He's very quick. Um, He has a goal scorer's mentality, but he's also pretty solid defensively. He can kill penalties if you need him to. He can do a couple of different things. 
Um, he's still finding his game. I think there's more development time, and I think if I were the Montreal Canadiens, I would let him stay in school at least another year just to give him that opportunity to fully develop and maybe become a dominant player at the collegiate level, which he hasn't been yet. Uh, but you know, he's on a team that is dominate dominates possession. He's a big reason for it. Um, you know, he's been in their top six for two straight seasons and, you know, has, has scored almost 30 goals over his collegiate career so far and over two seasons. So, um, but Smolanek is, is the big prospect that goes, but that first round pick is probably going to be the, the key piece of that deal. All right. Now I want to circle back to talking about 2022 picks versus 2023 picks. As I mentioned, Frank Saravalli reported on daily faceoff that, 2023 picks seem to be more desirable to teams. And it's always interesting when that happens. I think there's a couple of reasons. Um, but the first of it is that it's all about getting those lottery picks. Um, you know, if if teams are not going to lottery protect them, as Florida did not lottery protect their 2023 pick in the Ben Sherratt deal, um, you know, it just gives you another opportunity to potentially go after Connor Bedard, um, who just scored his 40th goal the night that we recorded this podcast at 16 years old in the WHL. It's pretty incredible. Um, and so to, to be able to land a player like that is pretty important for your future. And so 2023, it's hard to say that it's a deeper draft class. Um, certainly the top end of 2023 is much more exciting than 2022. And I think that that's probably what is driving some of the interest in getting 2023 picks. Even if you don't get the top pick, there's a lot of guys in that kind of eight to 10 range still that, that one to 10 in next year's draft that are really intriguing. You just have to manage to get a pick that's not lottery protected, then you have to hope that the team finishes in the lottery. So there's, you know, it is what it is. But I I do think that there is a general consensus that not only do you get that 2023 pick and have a chance to, you know, potentially land one of those top players, you also get another year to kind of get a handle on things. And I think that 2022, the year of evaluation is still different than the years of, of past. I think in the 2023 draft, we're about as close as we've been to normal in this world in a long time, aside from, you know, conflicts in other countries. And, and, and certainly that we're keeping our eyes on that, but it's different from COVID. It's not having the impact on, you know, league shutting down and things like that. So scouts are also going to be able to get another year to, you know, potentially build up a good book on next year's class and, and get a better handle on it. And it'll be the closest thing that we have to a normal draft in a long time. So I think those are two of the main factors that are driving the interest in 2023. Um, no question with Connor Bedard, Matt Vaymichkov, Adam Fantilli, uh, Brandon Yeager, um, Charlie Stramel. I mean, there's a lot of really intriguing players. That's just, that's barely listing half of the players that have already made names for themselves. Deliver Dvorsky. Let's keep going. I mean, no, we're, we're not going to keep going because it would take too long. But that 2023 draft offers plenty of intrigue. And it was not at all surprising to me that there was interest in those 2023 drafts. But I also think it is way too early to say one way or the other that the 2022 draft is, or the 2023 draft is quote unquote 
deeper than 2022. The top end, definitely better, at least in my estimation. The rest of it, I haven't dug in far enough to know for sure. And anybody that's saying that it is at this point, um, I think we're simply talking about the very top of that draft class. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's really exciting to look at 2023 now. As the trade deadline is going on too, we've also got college free agent signing and three three ones that, that signed that I want to talk about real quick. Corey Andonofsky was the first major college free agent off the board. The Pittsburgh Penguins are able to land him. That's a, a, a prospect pool that desperately needs bodies at all times. Um, they have been able to address that through college free agency in the past. Drew O'Connor, um, Zach Aston-Reese, and now Corey Andonofsky is kind of in that mix. Anonofsky, very quick player. We talked about him last week. If you want to learn more about the college free agents and, and really in-depth, go back to last week's podcast, episode 39 with Brad Schlossman. We talked all about those guys. Um, we also talked about Mark McLaughlin, who was on my daily face-off piece, the number five ranked college free agent. I think he's a good depth player, could be a PK guy, uh, more of a defensive specialist as opposed to a productive player. That you know He could be scoring depth at best, but, but not real reliable secondary scoring. I, I really think that his value is in his speed, his physicality, um, you know, and, and his ability to get uh, to, to play defensively. One player that we did not talk about last week, and I was kicking myself over it because I just wasn't sure that he was going to sign, and I didn't hear a ton of buzz about him, even though I personally liked the player quite a bit. And that's Declan Carlisle from Merrimack. He signed with the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning have a tremendous track record with college free agents, JT Brown, Andre Schuster, undrafted free agents like Tyler Johnson out of the WHL. Um, you know, they, they, have, they have continually found players that make an impact. Declan Carlisle is a two-way defenseman, a true two-way defenseman. I really like the way he defends. I think he closes gaps extremely well. Um, I've watched him live. I've seen him, you know, his mobility. I really like that. He's got good offensive instincts as well. And again, this is just a situation where, you know, your eyebrows raise a little bit when you see who's going where. And certainly when the Tampa Bay Lightning sign a player that's undrafted, the eyebrows go up a little bit. And, and Declan Carlisle was actually a player that I had ranked in his uh, draft re-entry year uh, at 71st. And that was, you know, I, I had seen him. I said, this this kid, I think, is going to play in the NHL, I think. And, and so, like, that's a, that's a third-round ranking. He did not get drafted. Doesn't mean I was wrong or doesn't mean I was right at this point now that he has an NHL contract. But what it does mean is that, you know, he, he had definitely made at least enough of an impression on, on NHL teams because he was hurt last season. And then this year, he's really made improvements, and he had over 24, you know, 24 points this year for, for Merrimack in a season where they were a lot more competitive than I think people realized. And it was it was because of Carlisle, it was because of Zach Ewens, a draft pick, it was because of Alex Jeffries, another draft pick. So, you know, they've they've definitely uh, been building up, but Declan Carlisle was a was a was a key piece for that team, a player that I like a great deal. And was very happy to see it. You always, you know, those players that you kind of go out of your way and and say like, I'm just gonna, I might be the only person who cares. I might be the only person to to put him in this position, but I'm gonna do it. And and I think that that's, it's always fun to see when those guys come up. Um, but it's way too early for a victory lap. All he got was a contract. Now he has to make it count. So we uh, we wish Declan Carlisle the best because you know, hey. It's always fun to see when a guy that you 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 wanted to see drafted, uh, but doesn't gets the opportunity like that, and certainly with a great 
uh, program like the Tampa Bay Lightning or a great team program. <laughs> kind of funny there. Um, but anyway, all right. So that kind of is the quick and dirty wrap-up of what's happened so far. We're going to see a lot more draft picks moved. We're going to see teams um, definitely clear space. We expect to see guys like maybe Claude Giroux moving from the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, is Mark Giordano going to go anywhere? We have a question about him and what his value might be. Um, you know, will a goaltender move? What's Toronto going to do? What is, are the New York Rangers going to do? They just added Frank Petrano. Is there anything more than that? Um, and, you know, that's that's kind of where we have to wait and see. And hopefully a lot of deals get done on Monday. And you can watch our daily face-off show and be completely informed. And, and also have we'll have thoughts on the prospects. And hopefully we'll be able to give you a lot of insight there. Um, and and obviously we'll also have a lot of written things on daily face-off about Dredd the trades and the drafts and every the the draft picks and everything else that moved. But yeah, really excited for that. So let's move into your questions. I want to know what you guys wanted to know about for this particular trade deadline. And we are going to start with a question about the Dallas Stars, which have been one of the most fascinating teams in the NHL over this season. They looked dead. They came back to life. They're still kind of hanging in there. And the question goes from, you know, they, they're dealing with Miro Haskinen having mono now. There was thought that they would trade John Klingberg. Now it looks like they really can't if they want to stay in the mix. So this one comes from at M. Stofe. Is Dallas looking to add a top six forward and would either Wyatt Johnson or Maverick Bork be available in return? Interesting question and interesting uh, this sounds like it's being asked from the perspective of somebody that isn't a Dallas Stars fan and is wondering, hey, could we maybe get one of those two guys out of there? And I think it would be very, very difficult to land either Wyatt Johnston or Maverick Bork, both first round draft picks um, that that you know Dallas uh, had you know, kind of really, you know, I think Johnson in particular, that was a risky pick. He had missed all of last season and Dallas felt really confidently about him. And what has he done in 53 games in the OHL this year? 97 points on pace for 124 over a 68 game season. Unbelievable. He has been one of the breakout stars of this season. I've been fascinated by it. I completely misread him last year at the World Under 18s. I, you know, he was in a depth role, but he still had four points in seven games, and I just I didn't have a good enough book on him to to rank him very highly. I had him in the 50s, and here Dallas drafts him at 23rd overall, and he has absolutely delivered. And he had he showed flashes of really good skill as a rookie in 2019-20. And that's why it's always important to make sure you do your homework and get a better read on a player. I should have had more of his U16 views um, queued up. And Dallas obviously did their homework on the player, and he's doing, you know, he's thriving right now. Maverick Bork is the more interesting in terms of potential availability. Like, I wouldn't say that they are, they, they would willingly part with Maverick Bork out of nowhere, you know, like it, I think it would have to be a particular, a particular kind of deal, especially since this is a team that's just close enough to not being in the mix, you know, to just close enough to maybe being out of it, that it's a little challenging. Um, you know, so 
as of right now, you know, Dallas is 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 in it. You know, they're 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 very much in it, and they are a team that should continue to push for that. Um, you know, they're just outside of the wild card as I uh, read this now, but that's not based. That's based on raw points, not points percentage. They actually be ahead of the Vegas Golden Knights in points percentage, which is a good way to look at things at this stage of the season because Dallas actually has four games in hand on Vegas. So, you know, we'd expect to see the Stars stay in it. But do you go that far? Like, I think if you were looking for a, a top six forward, it would have to be a pretty special forward. It'd have to be somebody that you feel real strongly about. I think Maverick Bork has been outstanding this year. He made Canada's World Junior team. Unfortunately, the juniors gets canceled. He's got 43 points in 21 games for Schwinnigan. Um, and, you know, he's not a big guy, but he's tenacious. He's got skill. Um, I think those are two prospects that you'd rather hold on to than, than, than deal away for, let's say, a rental or something. You know, if there was a player with term that you could get that, that made your team a lot better, then sure. But I still... It's so hard to make that kind of trade and then to also part with an A prospect, which I I mean, I think Wyatt Johnston, with the way he's played this year, I think he both he and Maverick Bork are probably, you know, A minus B plus prospects. Um, guys that I ex- fully expect to be regulars. Um, you know, and, and that's I, I I guess I should talk about that a little bit too, and 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 say, you know, when we talk about A prospects, like a hard A prospect is a prospect that has that's trending towards impact player. A guy that could be an all-star, a guy that could be something that is is on your roster every day and contributing in a meaningful way to your team. A B plus prospect or a B prospect is going to be a player that is an everyday NHLer that has a role on your team. You know, I think a C prospect are the guys that are kind of in between. They very well could be, uh, you know, a call up. They could be a depth player. They could be um, some help there. So when we talk A B C prospects. That's what I'm going for. There really isn't, you know, I, I I hesitate to say that, you know, young draft picks are C, you know, D or F prospects. Um, I mean, there are certainly some that, that don't carry much value, but they're usually not worth bringing up anyway. So uh, that's another thing that, that, so as you, just to give you an idea, as you hear me talking about A prospects, A means, you know, potential impact player. Um, you know, a guy that's going to play every day, a guy that's going to be a, a, a contributor, a B prospect, an everyday NHLer, but maybe not to the star caliber, not to the impact caliber, but certainly somebody that that helps your team, doesn't necessarily propel your team, if you will. And then the C prospect is one that is a maybe. So uh, a maybe, but a strong maybe. Like, you know, that they're, they, they have NHL tools. So just want to make that clear. And that brings me to our next question, which comes from at NP3. Mark Giordano, is the trade seems imminent. What kind of return might the Kraken get for a 38-year-old future Hall of Famer? That's an interesting. Is Mark Giordano in the Hall of Fame? That's an interesting one. I don't know. Maybe? I mean, certainly, you know, having a Norris trophy, that definitely puts you in the mix. Um I think if, you know, if he were able to move to a contender and win a Stanley Cup, that would certainly help his case. Um, but I love Mark Giordano. I think that he's a, a tremendous hockey player. He's had a, a, a really brilliant career. Um, the last few years, however, have not been amazing. Um, you know, and I think if as you look at the Kraken and how they've struggled this year, he has not been really 
you know, he hasn't necessarily been a part of that. Like he hasn't, he's not a reason that they're struggling. He's, he's one of their best players. He's very important. I think that Seattle is in a position now, especially after seeing what Ben Sherratt got and saying, you know, we've got Mark Giordano here, a guy that is battle tested, great experience, reliable. You know exactly what you're going to get out of him. You don't have to play him too high up in your lineup. You know, he, he doesn't have to play. 20 plus minutes a game. Like he's averaging 20 and a half, 21 and a half minutes right now for the Seattle Kraken, 23 points. Um, it's the Kraken have been not very good. And I think that they, it is very important for them to land assets. And they traded Callie yarn croak earlier today. Um, as I record this, they got three draft picks for Callie yarn croak, which is, which is solid, um, including a second rounder for this year's draft. I'm having a hard time seeing Mark Giordano bringing back a first. I think that that's what they would love to have. I think it's more likely that he will be moved for picks as opposed to prospects. Um, I do think it's at least reasonable to think that he could pull back a B-plus prospect or a B-prospect, rather. Um, and so that's a possibility as well. Um, but it's it's going to be hard. I think teams aren't quite sure how much gas is left in the tank. For Giordano, and he's gonna have to go into it. He's gonna have to go into a system that is able to maximize his talents, where he doesn't have to be relied on so heavily. Um, I do think he could he could certainly help a team. And you know, you look at him. He's 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 been in the playoffs only four times in his career. Twenty three career playoff games for Mark Giordano, seven points. So you know, that's the other thing. You're not necessarily getting somebody that's won a cup or you know done. Doesn't add that, but he is a former captain. He's a current captain in the NHL, and he was the captain of the Calgary Flames for a long time, former Norris Trophy winner. He carries a lot of gravitas and respect. And that's the kind of guy that I think if you bring him into your system, that's the kind of guy that a team wants to win for. You, know, you think about the various players over the years that have kind of come in, and you know, even though Marion Hosa was still kind of in his you know, long prime when he got to the Chicago Blackhawks, there was a real want for them to win for him to, to, to make sure they got him a cup. And then Kim Otimanen came on as a, as a trade deadline acquisition and they really wanted to win a cup for him. And he was able to raise the Stanley cup in, in his final season. So, you know, I think that's where Giordano's value lies. And I just don't think that if I'm an NHL team, I'm going to be spending a first round draft pick um, for him. Uh, but seconds, thirds, uh, you know, multiple mid-round picks, those are still valuable if you're the Seattle Kraken. They didn't have very many draft picks last time compared to, you know, Vegas had three first-round draft picks when they had their first NHL draft. Um, you know, I don't think that Calgary is necessarily, or sorry, that Seattle is necessarily going to be able to get that kind of haul that, you know, they obviously did in the, exp the expansion year, but then, you know, now they have a chance to get pieces. And I think if, you know, if you look at their expansion draft and say it was a failure, let's wait and see what kind of returns they get on some of these players. And 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 certainly they weren't as competitive, but I still think it wasn't entirely fair to hold them up to the Vegas standard anyway. All right, next one comes from Peter Monsrud, and it is, I heard Bill Guerin of the Wild say it would take something special to trade a first for a player. Obviously, it varies by organization and team status, but straight up, What's the player comp value to a projected mid to late first in your mind? And who is the most who is the most likely big name to get moved? 
Hmm. Well, there's a couple questions in there, and I'm going to start with you know the player comp value for a late first-round pick. Well, we just saw Ben Sherratt go for a 2023 pick, so we don't even know what range that pick is going to be in. But we do know that you know the it'll likely be late. Um, you know, if you are a team that is very desperate for defensive help, maybe a Mark Giordano forces you forces your hand into moving a pick. Like you know, how desperate are the New York Rangers, for instance, for for extra defense help, or you know, just you know, just kind of shouting out different teams, and that's one of them. Um, you know, does I don't think he does it for you know the Wild one do it for him necessarily um one of the names that's out there and this actually comes from another question that was was asked by mvp 96 is what what do you think a gm would give up for tyler bertuzzi and tyler bertuzzi is a very challenging individual because he is not vaccinated he will not get vaccinated and that still uh, means that if you're going to play in canada he's not going to be part of your team in these playoffs because you still do need to get vaccinated um, for entry so but he's nearly a point-per-game player. He's a three-time 20-goal scorer. That's the kind of guy where you say, he can help us. You know, if you, you, you know, the, the, the complication is that what does he do? But what does he do if, if he end up playing a Canadian team in the, in the playoffs? And we'll have to wait and see how that goes. But, but you know, Tyler Bertuzzi is a really interesting player on the ice. And, you know, top six guy plays with a lot of energy plays with some grit, and then he's got the goal scoring abilities had you know having a career year this year 24 goals 48 points 48 points is tied for his career best and that was in 71 games in the 2019-20 season um you know and i'm sure he would fit in so like i do think that that like a late first round is for a tyler bertuzzi that that makes a lot of sense you know like that if if you can give up a pick for that and I think that, you know, Detroit would be jumping for joy if they could get a top six. And and my, my colleague at Daily Faceoff, Frank Cerebelli, has reported, you know, that that Tyler Bertuzzi is a name that's out there now. Philip Sedina is also a name that has apparently been out there. I don't think he would pull back a, a first round pick by any means, but you know, those are the those are the things. So I think, you know, if Phil Guerin again, the Wild are another one of those teams where they're in a just a kind of a precarious position. Um, as I record this, they just had a big win over uh, Boston, but they're going to be in, you know, likely third, maybe second in their division at most. Do you think that the Wild, as constructed, could beat the Blues in a series? And then you also have the looming decision about, well, we've got all that dead cap space next year from the Parisian Suter buyouts, which I think have been a net positive this season for this team, the way that the Wild have played. But, you know, if you feel like you can be competitive, can you win around this year? Can you give can you give that to your young core? How much does that provide a boost to Kirill Kaprizov, to Matt Boldy, to, you know, to the other guys that you can bring into the mix? Because, you know, I think Marco Rossi is still a little bit further away. He might not be ready to be an NHL regular by next season, but he's getting he's getting closer for sure. And he's going to definitely compete for a spot in camp. But can you find something that makes sense? For your team and you know Tyler Bertuzzi for the for the way that he produces you know maybe he is a fit or a player like him is a fit 
but you still have the risk that you could play any one of the Canadian teams and and that creates some some problems for you. Um, but I am fascinated by you know what Bertuzzi's eligibility ultimately says about him. Um, and yeah, he's he's that that's gonna be one of the names that's really interesting. He is under contract for one more season after this one at 4.75 cap hit, 4.75 million cap hit. So that's I, I do think there's quite a bit of value there. And you know, if he's not gonna be part of the long-term core in Detroit, then he's he's a guy that will probably have to be moved. Um and and I think the value at this trade deadline would be very high because he has a cap friendly contract. Um, and he is producing at a high level. So that would be definitely be the kind of guy, you know, as we talk about, you know, first round draft picks. Now, is that necessarily a fit for the wild? Maybe not. But anyway, sorry, I had to take a, a slight little sip there of a, uh, of a beverage. As I've, you know, when we do the, when we do these guest where the questions are asked by the listeners, it just ends up being me talking for like over an hour. And I don't know. It's, it is, it is not easy on the wind on, on the, on the vocal cords, but I'm going to keep going here is because this next one is one I want to spend a couple of minutes on. And that is from Daniel Weber is Cop- Capo Caco untouchable is Capo Caco untouchable. So number two, overall pick in 2019 Capo Caco, of course, of the New York Rangers, it hasn't gone well for him so far. 23 points in his rookie year, 17 points in 48 games last year. He has 14 points in 37 games so far this year. He is getting more ice time. He is getting decent opportunity, but there's still not a lot there. And I don't think it's time to panic because he is still young. He's 21 years old. The NHL is a difficult league to develop in. um, And maybe he shouldn't have come up so soon. I personally thought he was ready based on what I had seen in his years and his physical abilities. Um, But, you know, a guy at his size and his strength and you just, you would figure that there would be more there and there really hasn't been. And so I would say, you don't jump to trade him. And especially now when his value is lower than it was before. I mean, this is a number two overall prospect we're talking about at 21. There is still value in a player like that. There is still belief in a player like that. Can he get to the level that we thought he was going to be at? Can Alexi Lafreniere get to a higher level? Those are questions that remain to be answered and they're really important ones for the Rangers who are an otherwise excellent team but could how much better would they be if they got more significant contributions because Kako has 14 points in 37 games Lafreniere has 18 points in 58 games 13 goals you need more out of those guys to be you know, especially if they're going to be in your top six, if they're going to be in your middle six. I mean, you just simply need more. So to answer your question directly, is Kako, Kako untouchable? I would say no. 
I think it would still have to take something significant to move him. And I think there has to be a more concerted effort on development, which is really difficult to do when you're in a playoff race and when you're actually looking like a team that can compete and you have a goaltender and you have a star in Panarin and you have you know, a rising star in Zibanejad, a Norris Trophy winner in Fox, Chris Kreider having an insane 39-goal season so far. The, just one of the most remarkable seasons of his career. You know, how close do you feel? How much are you willing to do? I think that it's more likely to me that guys like Nils Lundqvist could potentially be moved because what's been happening has been a little bit alarming because there's been a bit of a trend here for the New York Rangers. We talked about this on a podcast before. Vitaly Kravtsov, top 10 pick. Leah Anderson, top 10 pick. Alexi Lafreniere, top 10 pick. Kapokako, top 10 pick. First round picks. Nils Lundqvist. You know, what is happening to these guys? Kravtsov probably will never play for the Rangers again. Um, <laughs> you know, Kako and, and Lafreniere have failed to to meet expectations that were maybe too high to begin with and are also, you know, that's could be a problem in general. Um, Lundqvist has not made the transition as easily to North America as I think we expected him to, but it, it can be a tough transition for players, especially offensive players that are so timing and space-focused. So that's something to think about as well. But I, I do think that the the New York Rangers are still well-positioned as a franchise, still well-positioned to do some damage in the next few years, but you might have to get creative with your younger players. And if you continually hang on to these guys and not develop them, um, and, and not develop them at the NHL level where it's already hard to do that, then you start to have to reevaluate that whole process. Cause I don't think the draft picks like Cabo Caca was the obvious number two selection that year. There were some people that wanted him picked ahead of Jack Hughes. And there were some people in the, in the rookie season that were saying, Oh, well, Jack Hughes is not going to live up to Capo Caco. Well, that didn't age very well. Um, you know, I mean, Alexi Lafreniere was the clear cut number one guy, um, in that class. And, you know, so I, I don't begrudge them, for the picks that they've made. But I think what's happened afterwards has definitely been concerning. And when you're saying, okay, well, these guys can't lose value the way that they have. Um, it'll be interesting. I'll, 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 I'd, I'd be fascinated if they can get anybody to take Kravtsov. Um, and I, I would be fascinated to see if they're willing to give up already, not give up, but just to use Nils Lundqvist as a potential trade chip, as opposed to, a promising prospect, which I still believe he is. So really good question. Thank you very much, Daniel, for allowing me to opine for a few minutes on that one. Next one comes from Trevor Patterson. With how strong UC Saros has been playing, what would your opinion be on Yaroslav Iskarov becoming a trade asset instead of a long-term play for Nashville? That's a really good question. I mean, I, I think UC Saros is just living up to what you know, some of us saw as his potential. Um, you know, I never, it, he's been in the league long enough now where I haven't thought of him as a prospect in some time. But when he was a prospect, the thing that I loved about UC Saros is he was such a battler. Like, you know, he, and he had to be, he's not a big guy. He's one of the rare 5'11 goaltenders that is an everyday NHL player in, a, in an era where teams just are so size obsessed at that position. It's amazing what he's done. And you look at him this year, I mean, the last two years, really, where he's had to be the go-to guy, and this year more so than last, 
924 save percentage this year. You know, he's he's 129 of his 50 starts. And he's seeing a lot of pucks and he's making a lot of plays. And so that's great. And on the flip side, Yaroslav Askarov, and now we've got double trouble here because he's he's been, you know, obviously with everything that's going on in Russia, we still don't know exactly how that's going to impact NHL prospects, guys that were initially planning to come over. Are they going to be able to get visas? Are they going to be able to get through? Are they going to be able to leave the country at all? Um, should they leave the country? Should teams be wanting to sign them? Well, here's the thing with Askarov. He has not had the best post-draft run. It's been not enough games, not good enough performances. And I do wonder, developmentally, if he's going to develop. Now, his contract in the KHL is due to end this year, after this season. That would make him eligible to be signed, assuming that the Predators can prove that his contract is indeed up. The thing is, is if you trade him now, I don't think you would be able to get the value that you would want out of a guy that you just picked that high two years ago. I think the better play for Nashville is to try to get Askarov under contract as quickly as possible. Get him immediately to Milwaukee in the AHL. Might even have to start in the ECHL just to make sure he's playing on a regular basis. And it's not a bad thing to do that. A lot of teams are using the ECHL for their goaltenders now, and it has been an effective thing to do. It just gives those guys reps, and it allows them to play against pro players. And it's something important. But Askarov needs to play, and he hasn't been able to play in Russia. I mean, you look, he got nine KHL games last year. He got in a six this year. He's played in nine VHL games this year. He got in a six last year. And he hasn't played in any U20 games this year, aside from the one that he played at the World Juniors where he was dreadful. And, you know, so this is this is where we're at with Yaroslav Askarov. And I've seen the player up close. I am a big-time believer in him, even though he doesn't have the best technique. He's got great size. He's got great athleticism. He is an absolute competitor. He is fierce in the net. I believe that he can be a better player than he has shown. But he needs to play. Playing in 15 games this year or 16 games this year, whatever it is, and he is he did have a much better save percentage in the, the VHL playoffs where he played in three games. You know, he's got to play. And he's got to play a lot. My hope is that, you know, he can play. Because I do believe in the player. And, and I think that Nashville will continue to believe in him as well. They just need to help develop him now. So I, long way of saying, Trevor, I don't think that Yaroslav Askarov should become a trade asset, especially when you have a path for him to improve and a, and a chance to develop him in an organization that has traditionally developed goaltenders pretty well. All right, the next one comes from Patrick McConnell. What do you think of the Ottawa Senators right now? What do they need to become a playoff team? Could they get it from this upcoming draft? Well, Patrick, they're going to have uh, a high pick. And also, I'm going to skip ahead to a draft question because um, I was asked also, with the Sen sitting at fifth on the draft table, who would you take? So this I'll combine these two questions together. And that last question, 
um, came from Matt Naif. So so we've, we're getting Matt and Patrick's questions locked up here. So I think that the Ottawa Senators are a team in transition still. They're still rebuilding. They are, they are trying to move into the competitive stage of their rebuild, but they're not there yet. And I think that the pieces that they need are pieces that they probably already have in their system, namely Jake Sanderson, who I do think will be, you know, assuming that he signs in this offseason and he is an everyday NHLer by next season, he is going to help. He's a brilliant skater, a high-end defender, a guy that makes a lot of different plays and can can help you out in a lot of different ways. Um, that's going to help a great deal. I do think that they, you know, they have some interesting players beneath the NHL level. Ridley Gregg is having a great season. You know, I'm a huge uh, Igor Sokolov fan. You know, he's only gotten into eight NHL games this year, but I still think that he could be a player, uh, a really solid player for them um, down the road. They've made some trades. I think the defense is going to get shored up a great deal by bringing in Sanderson so that you have he, he and Shabbat you know, kind of anchoring that things with, with Zub and Zaitsev and like all those guys that, that can play a regular shift for them while also allowing the young guys to do the work and, and, and make, you know, make a, make a big push here. Um, so they've got a lot of the D, you know, I think that the question that I have is, is Philip Gustafson going to be the long-term answer at number one? Uh, is he going to be the best goaltender? They have a really promising young guy in Levy Marilainen who I think will be, uh, you know, a, a guy that could eventually challenge Gustafson for that that title. Um, Mad Shogard is in there too. Like they have good players in their in their mix, um, but I don't think you're going to find that missing piece in the draft this year. You know, I think what are they going to need? You know, is is Tim Stutzel ultimately going to be a center? Is he going to be a wing? You know, is it? You know, they have Shane Pinto who has been injured all year, kind of the forgotten rookie. And I think he is going to be an exceptional player. So they've got depth throughout. It's just a matter of gaining experience. And I think they're going to have to go out and find something outside of the organization as well to bring in a little bit more of a veteran president presence. Maybe that is on the back end. Maybe it isn't a, you know, kind of a top six wing situation. Um, but I don't think what they're going to be looking for is going to be readily available in the draft. I don't think there's any, unless they get Shane Wright. Um, you know, or, or one of the top centers like uh, a Logan Cooley. Uh, when I did my mock draft, since they were at five, I actually mocked Connor Geeky to, um, to them. And he's a big, big forward. Um, they went heavy on size last year. They've gone, looked for big, heavy players. Um, and, and I think that's something that they are certainly searching for, but that's, uh, that's kind of what I think of the of the Ottawa Senators. I think that they are a team that, while they could contend for a playoff spot next year, I'd have to wait and see what their offseason ends up doing. Because I'm not 100% positive. I, I thought they were going to be better this year than they have been. I'll tell you that much. Um, and, and it just hasn't been there. And I think part of it is, they need some more veteran presence in, in there, you know, and, you know, you need, you need guys healthy. I I'm a big believer in Drake Batherson and in, in Josh Norris in Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla. I mean, the, the pieces are there to be a juggernaut. Eventually, if there's one thing that they could really use, it's that 
franchise-changing Connor Bedard kind of player. You know, that's the one that takes them to the next level. Because they got a lot of really, really good. The elite, like Jake Sanderson's one of the best defensemen not playing in the NHL right now. And they've got, you know, other guys that, that are kind of in the mix that'll that'll come along later. But there's still there's still a lot to do. And I still think the team is a bit in a search of an identity. Um, and it sounds so cliche, but it helps teams so much if they know how they're supposed to play, if they know the way that they're supposed to be as a group. And I think guys like Brady Kachuk will help set that over time, but it's we're not there yet. This next one comes from Rackham, and he asks, should the Leafs be worried about an offer sheet for Timothy Liljegren? Um, so Timothy Liljegren has been an interesting prospect in their system for some time and now is an everyday NHLer. Um, and you know, he's played fine. You know, I think he's been really good. Um, I don't think most teams are going to use an offer sheet on a guy that's, you know, bottom two pairing defenseman. I don't necessarily think that Liljegren is a future surefire number four or number five you know like i think he i think he's got a really good chance to be a real good number five but i don't think it's a hundred percent there i don't see him as a guy that's going to command an offer sheet i don't think the assets that you would have to give up um in order to get an offer sheet that the leafs wouldn't match um are worth it you know you think about the 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 various offer sheets that have been attempted over the years you know the there was the pejorative you know revenge offer sheet of of uh of of yes Barry Cook after the Sebastian Ajo ordeal um that was a little different I still think that Montreal made the right call to not um you know not match the offer sheet in that particular situation um but you know I think back to the various other attempts Nicholas Jalmerson um you know San Jose was looking he would have been a such a great fit on their blue line and you know, if there's a team out there that thinks that Timothy Liljegren plays exactly the way that they need a player to play, maybe they'll take a shot. But I, I just, I don't see it. I personally don't see it. Um, that that he's, you know, he's he's playing real well right now. You know, and he, he moves pucks decently well. He defends well. I think he's going to be a good player. I just don't see an offer sheet in his future. All right. After I take another sip to try and make sure that. You know, and I could edit that out, but I've already been going for an hour straight. So why stop? Why stop now? Yeah, we're rolling. Don't let him go. He's rolling. He's rolling. He's on a roll. All right. So we'll get to our next question. We are now moving into more of the college hockey section. We'll also get to some NHL draft questions in a little bit. But JB Faz. one two one three asks, of the Hobie Baker finalists, which will have the most immediate impact in the NHL? To me, I've you know I've been saying it a long a long. I think you know as far as immediate NHL impact, I really do think Matty Beniers um, will have the biggest impact of those players on his team next season. I fully expect him to sign with the Seattle Kraken as soon as the season is over. Uh, I I assume that he will get some games this year with the Kraken at the end of the season, um, and I, I think that he'll be a big time player now. In addition to him, I do think Ben Myers has a chance to be a, an impact player on day one. Um, I'm not 100% certain that Luke Hughes is going to come out right away. I don't think any of the goaltenders would be um, in that mix. And then the rest of the guys are kind of, you know, could see some time in the AHL. Not necessarily going to be right in there. But I do think Ben Myers and Matty Beniers are the two guys on that list that are most prepared to make a sizable impact 
in year one. Um, so that's uh, that's that's where we're at. Devil's Insider asks, thoughts on Luke Hughes' character? Did the Devils draft Luke Hughes solely for the marketing department? I think that's in reference to something that was said during Hughes' draft season. Um because I got that a lot from Devils fans, and I is it like it must be an inside joke of some kind. But anyway, um, I do remember that there was something that came out about like Luke Hughes's character in his draft year, and that was always something that didn't really ring true to me. You know, I'd been around the player, I've been around people around the player, certainly um, ask around about players all the time, and that was never something that came up as as being a huge concern. Um, among people, he went fourth overall. It, you know, there was a lot of chatter saying, you know, they're just doing this to make Jack happy. And when you saw that Luke get drafted, Jack was obviously very happy. Um, but I also think that as Luke Hughes has shown this season, he was worth that pick. He was worth being the number four pick. Highest goal scorer among freshman defensemen under the age of 19 since the 1950s with 17 goals this year. Um, some highlight reel goals too. I mean, and, and some really good defensive play. And I think that the Hughes boys, all three of them, they're, they, they are very different. Each one of them, you know, Jack is definitely the most like out there in terms of personality, confidence, ego, and it's like a healthy ego. And I think Luke is probably a mix between Quinn and Jack, where I think Luke is definitely, He's a little, he puts himself out there a little bit more, certainly than Quinn did, but they're all three so confident and they're so different. And I just think that, you know, they're, they're so different, but the one thing that's common is they're all elite. I mean, they're, they're elite hockey players and Luke has smashed my expectations for this year. Um, you know, and of course, you know, I met, met him when he was 14 years old. I was working on a story for ESPN. I wrote about this in, in uh, hockey sense a few weeks back and, kind of breaking down Luke's game. And I, I just, you know, I was so nervous at that time of putting too much pressure on him, knowing that, you know, it was, it was Quinn's draft year. Jack was getting all the first overall buzz the year before. And then Luke was still years away from being drafted. Um, and you worry about putting pressure on that. And, and I think that part of it comes from, you know, his parents as well. Like they, they, I think they taught their kids how to deal with pressure. You know, their mom, Ellen worked in TV, their dad, Jim worked in the NHL as a, as a coach. And, you know, and, 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 and a development guy. And he's, he's, you know, they, they, they went into this eyes wide open and I think all the players, all they've done is continue to deliver. So um, I've never had concerns about Luke's character and I certainly haven't had any concern about, you know, his ability. Um, You know, I think the only concern in his draft season was how well was he going to recover from the injury that he sustained that kept him out of the under 18 world championship? Well, we have our answer now. It wasn't a concern and it is no longer a concern. Next one comes from AAA. The Kings had some collegiate standouts this year. A lot has been said already about Brock Faber. A lot on this podcast, even. But can you break down Alex Laferriere, the ECAC freshman of the year, and Andre Lee, third team All-Hockey East? Love the podcast. Well, thank you, AAA. I love the question. Um, It is nice to get questions about different guys. And I'll tell you what, Alex Laferriere um, was a guy that was supposed to be at Harvard last year. um, And because of their program being put on pause for the pandemic. He went back to the USHL and he played extremely well for the Des Moines Buccaneers. He ended up having 50 points in 49 games last season. It was an improvement from this previous season. Um, 
And now at Harvard, 29 points in 32 games. He had some real remarkable performances over the course of the season. Um, and, you know, I think that the scoring has gotten a little less consistent than it was at the beginning of the year where he was really lighting it up. You know, he had four, a four-goal game against Colgate earlier in the season. Um, but, you know, the thing about him is he's got good size. He's good strength, the right shot. You know, he can hammer a puck pretty well, too. Um you know, and, and this is a guy that you don't have to think about if you're the Kings for another couple of years. You know, you can let him stay at Harvard, let him, you know, just continue to, to develop. And, and they've shown a propensity for developing high-end talent um, and NHL talent. You think about the guys that have come through that program in the recent years. And Adam Fox and John Marino came right out of there. And it's not just defensemen. It's Colin Blackwell. It's it's other guys that are... They're continuing to to thrive and, you know, guys that are there now like Sean Farrell and Nick Abrazizi. Um, so, you know, the fact that LaFerriere was able to outbeat, you know, outlast some of his his uh, teammates and like Sean Farrell and, and others in, in the rookie of the year, um, you know, it's just because he plays such a mature game. I think that extra year junior might have done him well, uh, you know, might have done him real well to, to just get that opportunity to to play um, and dominate a little bit more and get that feel for it. So he's, he's an interesting one. Andre Lee is a real under the radar guy, you know, late round draft pick from the Kings. Uh, won a Clark cup in the USHL with the Sioux Falls stampede. And he was just dominant. And this is a power forward in every sense of the word. He was the 188th overall draft pick in 2019. And that came right after they won. He had 11 points in 12 games in that Clark cup playoff run. Now a junior, 28 points in 32 games, including 16 goals. So a career best season for him by far at UMass Lowell, a team that I think exceeded expectations, um, you know, and we're seeing more and more Europeans come through college hockey and thrive in that environment. I think Andre Lee is going to be the next one. I'll be interested to see if he does decide to sign after UMass Lowell season is officially over. It is not yet. So he's got an opportunity to to potentially move you know move through here and maybe even get into the national champion or national tournament. Um, but you know when you look at the size, I think he skates very well. I think he's got good strength. I, I really like everything about kind of what he brings to the table physically, um, and he's he's a really good player. So I would say that you know again the Kings have lots of really great players. I think these are two guys that are on the lower end of their prospect system, but that just speaks to how good their prospect system is. All right. Now this is a tricky one. This one goes into 2022 and 2023 draft. And I always feel bad when I have to talk a little bit about the Arizona Coyotes in this way, but it, I'm going to answer the question. This wasn't my question. This comes from Random Task 68 Do you think a highly rated prospect like Shane Wright or Connor Bedard could refuse to play for the Arizona Coyotes considering their situation in the coming seasons of playing at Arizona State University? Well, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I don't think it's necessarily likely because the one thing about that whole arena situation, is it what you want when you first come into the NHL? Is it what you dream about? No, of course not. You don't dream about playing in a 5,000-seat arena. You dream of playing in front of 20,000 people. Um, but I do think that this is a temporary thing. We'll see if it all works out. It is a little bit weird. It isn't great. But what are their options? Like, you know, Shane Wright says, okay, I'm not going to sign with you. I just... 
I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know how that's going to go. It's not like the Eric Lindros situation. This isn't a player that has the opportunity where he's just all world and you got to have him. Like if, and I would say, you know, if I'm Arizona and I get an indication that either one of those players is not willing to go there, um, I think Bedard is more is closer to where like the Lindros comparable, where you say, well, this is a guy where if we trade him or if we draft him and he doesn't want to come, we will just trade him for the largest package we possibly can. And then maybe you get, you know, a better team out of the deal in a more immediate situation. But knowing I don't proclaim to know either Shane Wright or Connor Bedard well, but knowing just the way things are. I have a hard time believing we're going to see that, but it isn't out of the realm of possibility because we haven't seen an NHL team try to play in a college arena. Um, and as nice as that college arena may end up being, it's going to be weird, but I really hope that the thing in Tempe works out in terms of the new arena for, for the coyotes. I am a big believer in hockey in the desert. I think that the, what has the way that hockey has grown there has been remarkable. Um, and really you look at the numbers and it's, it's fascinating to see, you know, just how much it really has picked up over the years there. So I am a big believer still. I hope it works out. I feel awful for the coyotes fans that have to go through this and get kicked around so much. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully we near a resolution. All right. Next one comes from Mike Craddy is Gleb Trikazov becoming a first rounder possible. Anything is possible. Um, I think it's highly unlikely that Gleb Trikazov is going to be a first-round draft pick. Not the least of which is the ongoing situation with Russia. I think that those tweener prospects, guys that are kind of on the cusp of first round, I don't think they're, you know, they'd have to be no doubters. Like, I still think Danila Yurov is going to go in the first round. And yes, it's been a remarkable year of production. Trikazov is dominating the MHL. He's dominating the playoffs. I'll tell you what, like you look at a, a guy's MHL stat line, there have been a lot that have come through that have had incredible stats and didn't amount to much. I think Trikazov is a second round caliber prospect. That's just my personal opinion. I know there are people that view him as a potential top first rounder, maybe even a lottery pick. Um, and, you know, I just think that there's a lot of tools there. There's skill for sure. He's got some excitement in his game. He's young for the class as well with an August 12th birthday. And, but I just haven't seen enough from him. And I'll, I do have to go back and watch some more video from the postseason so far. But I don't see enough from him to say, I'm willing to take on all of the other risks that associated with drafting a Russian prospect at this point and, put it, and using a first round draft pick on a player that I'm not 100% sure belongs in the first round. Um, so that's, it's, it, so Mike, it's possible. I don't necessarily think it's likely. All right, this one is not about anything in particular, except for the Mighty Ducks Game Changers, which if you'll recall is a bit of a running gag in my Twitter feed. I haven't ran in a while, but my buddy Nate Wells wanted to ask, finally getting around to watching your influencer, <laughs> Mighty Ducks Game Changers show, what school do you think State Paul State, St. Paul State is supposed to be an analog for? Well, they use St. Paul State as a as a fake school in the in the movie. I'm gonna guess it's St. Cloud because Saint something state. I'm gonna say St. Cloud. St. Paul State, weird. 
but I'm going to say that they probably are talking about St. Cloud State. So, uh, yeah. So just remember that Disney Plus once sent me a Mighty Ducks jersey because I spent an entire, I don't know, how last, this was actually, this was now a year ago. So this was going back to the, the NCAA tournament last year where they were running all these ads for Mighty Ducks Games Changers. And I just, I, I'd seen all these hockey influencers get jerseys. And I said, damn it, I want one of those. I love the Mighty Ducks. That's what I grew up on. And it's the original District 5 jerseys. And they were all customized. And I was like, how? So I managed to complain my way into getting one. And now my favorite TV show ever. I'm not contractually obligated, but just because they sent me a jersey, I'm going to say the best show on Disney Plus is Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Go St. Paul State, Saints, Huskies whoever you are, I am a big fan. All right. I don't know if I want to end the podcast on something so, uh, so goofy, but that, I guess that's kind of how I am. And especially after I got a, a review, a, such a nice review from Jay Letty saying that it's no shtick, no nonsense. And then I just ended the podcast with some shtick and some nonsense, man, that, that five-star rating is probably going down. But anyway, just want to finish the show off by reminding you, please do check out the Daily Faceoff Trade Deadline Show. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. It's one way to provide a little bit of a financial uh, boost to an independent media operation that includes this podcast, which is still ad-free. Um, maybe I should start selling ads. I don't know. I'm not much of a salesman. Don't really enjoy it. But if you can help me with subscriptions, it makes me even less likely to sell advertising on this here podcast. So if we can keep it ad-free, we will. But we will need your support, just like your local PBS stations do. Anyway, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Please share the podcast with anybody that you know. And make sure you join us next week as we return for a road edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I will be coming to you live from Kitchener, Ontario next week as I go to the CHL Top Prospects game and we'll be providing a full report after that game is over. So stay tuned for next week's podcast. Head over to dailyfaceoff.com to make sure you watch our trade deadline coverage and read Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack. That's a lot of pitches in one thing. But thanks again for your questions. Always you can ask me questions at Chris M. Peters and at HockeySenseWithCP at gmail.com. Finally, finally, I'm done. I will stop talking now. You go on with the rest of your day. I really appreciate all the time you spend listening to this podcast. And if you made it all the way to the end on this one, the code word is tradey. The code word is tradey. Tradey. Not even a real word. Anyway, that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. 